0: questions you always had, the answers you were never given. the place to seek the truth. Welcome to Veritas.
1: The Nazis did not really lose World War II. They made it appear that way in order to divert attention from the alliance between the Fourth Reich and the race of aliens known as the Reptilians, an ancient galactic civilization obsessed with conquest and domination. After the German surrender in 1945, the Nazi Reptilian Alliance infiltrated the US military industrial complex through Operation Paperclip. The Nazis and reptilians removed their political opponents, such as the Kennedys, and moved into policy-making positions in post-war America, infiltrating aerospace companies, banking, media, and the US government, including NASA and the CIA. But the real target Was not the United States. It was the solar system.
0: You are listening to Veritas. If this is your first time, welcome home. To listen to tonight's full interview and all of our material, join the Veritas family and click on the subscribe button at VeritasRadio.com. You can make your purchase with a credit card, PayPal, cash, check, money order, and even cryptocurrency. We are now accepting Bitcoin, Litecoin, and Ethereum. Don't forget to visit the Veritas store, for Focused Life Force Energy, MMS, CBD Pure Hemp Oil, Divinia Water, Pure Organic Sulfur, Flash Drives with all our Sanitas and Veritas Seasons, and other great products. And if you want to get in touch with Mel, want to be a guest on this radio program, have a guest suggestion, or have feedback, just click on the contact button of our website at VeritasRadio.com. And if you're listening on YouTube, like, subscribe and share it and click the bell to be notified when new interviews are available and now here's your host mel Fabregas.
1: and to tell us more tonight's special guest is veteran of this radio program len Kasten. he's a ufo researcher and freelance writer he's a former member of the national investigations committee of aerial Phenomena and the mutual ufo network MUFON. he's the author of many books the secret history of extraterrestrials Secret Journey to Planet Serpo, Alien World Order, and the latest book, which will be the focus of tonight's discussion, titled Dark Fleet, The Secret Nazi Space Program, and the Battle for the Solar System. Len Kasten joins us directly from Peoria, Arizona. Hello, Len, and welcome back.
2: Hi, Mel. Nice to be with you.
1: Congratulations on the new book. Thank you. What was your motivation for this book? I had a lot of this talk for the last decade, I would say, secret space program, the relationship with the Nazis who came via Operation Paperclip. What's your motivation?
2: Well, when I finished my last book, Alien World Order, I began to realize that the story was not over yet, that really we have to move out into the solar system to get the rest of the story. It became clear to me after talking to some other people and doing some more research, I realized, especially. Especially the ex super soldiers, which I think you, who I know you were aware of, right? There were yes. the super soldiers. Well, you know, they were. Con- the consensus was absolutely, uh, absolutely uh, monopolized. They monopolized that consensus that the um, the alien, the Nazis had moved out into the solar system, and they were operating on Mars and the Moon. So I, I realized I had to finish my research and uh, and write the the last book on the, on this whole subject. Before we begin,
1: do you think, and we'll discuss Antarctica late, later, do you think Antarctica was the jumping board or the catalyst for them to go elsewhere if they indeed are on the moon and Mars?
2: Absolutely. They they created what they called Base 211 in Antarctica with the help of the reptilians. And that became their launching point for the all all of their space adventures. Was that known as Neusch, Neuschwebenlandt? Yes, it was. Yes, it was. Is that still uh, there? Well, it's still there, but by, and now it's more of an American colony since they have moved more to Mars and the moon, and they've more or less abandoned uh, Base 211. So most of the American aerospace companies that moved down there and joined with the German companies have remained there. They all have, have uh, facilities there as well as well as well as other places.
1: Now, for anybody who thinks this is just science fiction— I have seen, and I think I may have in my collection of stuff, postcards, postcards from the 1940s with a stamp saying Little America and others say New Schwabenland. So there were two locations during that time, weren't they?
2: Oh, wow. Yeah, that's interesting. That's very, really interesting. Uh, Schwabenland was under the ice. It was not on the surface, of course, and uh, it was under two miles of ice. But the caverns down there are so huge that they could build tall buildings there in that that facility. And they did have tall buildings there. And the population grew rapidly and the American American aerospace companies, after they realized how successful the Germans were, came down there and joined them. And uh, it became an international facility eventually.
1: I wanted to go in chronological order, but since you're opening these doors right from the offset, I have to go back to Admiral Byrd. What do you think happened that the Americans were handed, they left two weeks after instead of, a, I believe it was going to be a two, three month expedition. And it, after two weeks, they came, they just returned. And even in Chile, there are reports from a hospital saying some of these people were severely, severely burned and injured. Some of our troops.
2: Are you talking about the hospitals in, in Chile? Correct. Yes. Okay.
1: They were taking care of the American soldiers who were returning from that part of the world. I guess that right. was not heavily reported.
2: Exactly. Well, that was all the that was all the results of Operation High Jump, which I'm sure you're aware of. Yeah, that's uh, what I'm referring to. Okay. Yeah. Well, we we didn't expect to be encountering any uh, flying saucers in Antarctica. It was total of a total surprise, and the reason they had that technology there at Base Two Eleven was because the, the general who was in charge of that development in Czechoslovakia, Hans Kammler, was taken down there and helped to develop the flying saucer technology uh, uh, at Base 211. So they were ready for us when we got there with, with the with the fleet, with Operation High Jump, and the, the saucers came right out of the water. And uh, before we knew what was happening, they sunk uh, at least one ship, And supposedly killed about 68 Marines. Uh, And Byrd realized that he had no defense against that. The question I have is, were these
1: saucers and this exotic technology that we encounter there, were these Nazi technology or the alien technology? And if they were Nazi technology, why didn't they use it during World War II? Otherwise, they would have won with it.
2: Well... That's a long story. It, 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 was, it, was, it was basically alien technology that was given to them. And uh, if they hadn't made that alliance with the reptilians, they, they probably wouldn't have had it, nor would they have had all the other wonder weapons, the rockets, for instance. Uh, the German scientists were, were, of course, very good and very accomplished and very keen, but they did not have the ability to do what they did without the help of the reptilians, so uh, and actually, and think about it. it. It had to be. Why would they have gone to Antarctica, of all places, if they hadn't been, if it hadn't been suggested to them, or encouraged by the reptilians themselves? I mean, to go six thousand miles across the Atlantic to a frozen wasteland, they knew nothing about. To spend all that money on the on the voyage and on the, uh, the preparations, on the brink of World War II. It just didn't make any sense. So. They, had, they went there because they knew what, they, what to expect. They were being helped. But here's the disconnect
1: that I've always found with this story. And I'm not saying that it didn't happen. Something happened with Admiral Byrd, for sure. And we've seen the diary and the testimonial from other people and some of his relatives. But if Nazi Germany had that technology, and obviously, judging by what we saw in World War II, they had an expansion, they had expansion in their plants, If they are now in Antarctica and they have this technology, why haven't they taken over or had they taken over?
2: Well, that was the whole point of my book is that they did take over. They did take over. Operation Paperclip was the beginning of the takeover. And the climax of the takeover was the installation of an ex-colonel in the SS as the head of NASA. Uh, I mean, really? What else? What other proof do we need? We had we had two we had two uh, two American diplomats, Alan Dulles and John Foster Dulles, brothers, yeah. who were Nazi sympathizers to begin with, and, yeah. and and Alan Dulles was the head of the CIA. No, I'm not I'm not disputing that story at all, because we had
1: would you say about fifty percent of those genius people, because they were genius, whether they're Nazis or not. These people were smart. They came here. And we brought them here, but so did the Soviet Union. They got what? About fifty percent
2: of them went to the Soviet Union. Well, the the, the the Nazis wanted America because they wanted to come to this continent. They knew that they had to, if they were going to take over, they had to take over American industry because that's where all the that's where all the the brilliance was, and all the all the best uh, technicians, and all the best scientists were here. They were not in Russia. And uh, from the very beginning, they, they targeted America as their, as their future home. And uh, they started out in Argentina and when it went, went to uh, Antarctica.
1: So whenever somebody says the Nazis lost the war, but they won the peace, what they really mean is that they actually infiltrated the U.S. from within, industry, military, government, you name it.
2: That's right. That's exactly what happened, and it all started with Paperclip when they uh, they they put they took all the ex Nazis, some of the most brutal, most brutal uh, ex Nazis, and brought them in and scrubbed their records clean, uh, and made them Americans, and put them to work in American aerospace companies and and in governmental government jobs. It was unbelievable, really. And Eisenhower actually found out about it. What did
1: Eisenhower say about
2: this? You have, you have to go back and reread this Eisenhower speech. I, I, I discussed this at length in my book. What he was really warning us against in that warning speech. The farewell which, speech, right, you what? mean? I'm sorry? The farewell speech. Yeah, the farewell speech. Yeah. That he came. That he gave just before Kennedy took over. Uh, I, I made a point of this in the book. You, did you read that part of the book? I did, I did. Yeah, where that speech, that speech went through 21 drafts before they finally got it exactly the way they wanted it. He was basically trying to warn us of what had happened to our aerospace industry and to our and to our uh, economy, and that it was infiltrated by the Nazis. But he couldn't say it. He couldn't say it in so many words. Uh, but he he did as best he did as best he could. He chose his words very carefully, and uh, for those who had ears to listen, he was telling us. Hey, watch out! Things have changed.
1: Back in those days, this is nineteen sixty-three. No, I'm sorry, this is nineteen sixty-one when he said that. Correct?
2: That's right, exactly. Yeah.
1: Back Kennedy in those just, days, and
2: he's just taken office. Yeah.
1: Exactly. So back in those days, I don't think we had what do you call it uh, censorship. We had these people who, who, right now, in every every media platform, thirty seconds, a minute. They immediately just cut. If they don't like what they're hearing, they cut it. Do you think if Eisenhower's speech were being broadcast today, would it have made it public just like it did in 1961?
2: I think it would have because he selected his words very carefully for that very reason. He couldn't really say what he wanted to say. So he had to suggest it as best he could. And I think he did a good job. I mean, it took 20, as I said, it took 21 drafts before they got it right. But nobody really suspected after that speech that there was anything really uh, to worry about. Nor did he ever mention the Nazis or the Germans or any of that. So uh, he made the point for those who had ears to listen. So back in those days, the the monster
1: hadn't been created yet, if you will. And that's probably why they didn't, quote unquote, get it. And now we see the monster right in our face.
2: Exactly. and uh, But interest, what's interesting about that situation is that at the very time that he was giving that speech in 1960, that was precisely when Wernher von Braun was taking over uh, the the, uh, the space center at NASA. So by that time, the, the, the takeover had already been completed by the Nazis. They were already in all the major aerospace companies. They were already in, working in the CIA uh, with Reinhard Galen, the spy master. And uh, that was basically the end of the story. It was done by 1960. Do you think
1: that NASA is just window dressing? And I think this is probably the thesis of your book that there exists a different platform. Call it the secret space program, breakaway civilization, a space force, whatever you want to call it. Do you think that is what made it to the moon? And, and I know that this offends a lot of people who are very patriotic, and so am I, but I really don't think that with the technology that they showed us, which by now, they lost the telemetry, they lost the tapes, they lost the technology, and they said they cannot bring it back. Do you buy that?
2: Well, I don't know. Is it your opinion that they did not actually go to the moon? With
1: Apollo, I don't think that we did. I think this was truly a Kubrick production. You really do, huh? If you know, th- if we made it, perhaps with this technology that you're alluding to, perhaps we did.
2: Well, Werner von Braun was not actually interested in really helping us. He was interested in putting the brakes on our program, while he knew that the real program was being developed on the moon and Mars. So uh, it wouldn't surprise me if we did not, if we didn't make it to the moon.
1: Huh? Wait a second. I, 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 studied, it. I studied it. You have another angle there that I haven't considered. You're saying that the not that von Braun and company. May have uh, pretended that we went, but in reality, he was putting the brakes so that the Nazis in Antarctica were the ones there already taking over. Is that what you're insinuating?
2: Well, what I'm insinuating is that he knew how important this was to Kennedy, and that Kennedy was absolutely fanatic about getting to the moon. So he he did everything he could superficially, but I don't think he was doing what he really could have done, because he had a lot of scientist friends who were already here under Operation Paperclip, and I think they were working together. And uh, his goal was not to help America get to the moon, I can tell you that. He may, he may have been forced into it by Kennedy, but uh, he himself, I don't think, was truly cooperative in that effort. My own feeling at this point, after, after thinking about it and talking to a lot of people at conferences, uh, I've, I've come to the conclusion that we probably did go to the moon. Uh, I think it was just too difficult to, to do that, to make that look like a real uh, landing on a, on a soundstage somewhere in Hollywood. I just don't think it was possible, even with, uh, even with Kubrick's help. And Kubrick was a genius, don't get me wrong. But I just, I think it really was, we did get to the moon. I'm sure we did. But it explains why we never went back.
1: Well, that's another story. Why do we go back? But, you know, yeah. when you look at the situation that happened with Grissom and Traffy and, and White, and when Grissom said, we can't even talk to the next office, and he put a lemon on top of the, the module, that to me was the beginning. Like, wait a second, we're not going. And I think that what Kubrick did was not to to show the world that we went to the moon, but it was in case we failed. And Nixon, he, he, Nixon even had that... Um, that uh, a scripted something yeah, that he had to right. re- re- read that's in the event that we didn't make it. But I don't think the United States wanted to tell the Soviets, "Hey, look, we failed. Now it's your turn."
2: Well that that sounds that sounds like the right motivation there because uh, it was it was a, it was a hedge against failure. I agree with that exactly. Now but I, but, I, but I really think maybe they really did go though. I've come to the conclusion that they did go. It was just it just seemed too difficult to fake that.
1: I just want to believe. I want to believe that we went, but when I see the pictures of the moon, I mean, I'm sorry, of Earth supposedly taken from the moon, if you look at the size of Earth and the size of the moon, it makes absolutely no sense. Furthermore, I haven't seen one single picture from NASA, admitted by NASA, saying that they're not composites, not a single image. And don't you think that you and I, Len, would have commercialized the moon already, at least all these companies, Nike, and I just give Pepsi, Coke, whatever. They shouldn't they have a camera on the moon? Call it Earth TV or or you know Moon TV, and absolutely. have a twenty four seven picture of Earth with commercials underneath.
2: How many people would be tuning into that? I would. I know, of course, absolutely. Well, you know what's what could be behind this whole thing, uh, uh, Mel? By nineteen by nineteen sixty. By 1960, the Nazis already had a sizable presence on the moon, as I discussed in my book. They had, they had taken that initial, that initial trip to the moon and started burrowing under the surface, and they had built a, a facility there. And that's probably the reason they didn't want it, that uh, von Braun didn't want us there and uh, cooperated in, the fake, in, the, in making it a fake. There you go. There was just too much German presence already there. See that sounds more plausible. Yeah, it's almost I like do, that movie.
1: That movie. What, what's the name of that movie that came out a, a couple of years ago? It was kind of a comedy, but you know we were going to the moon and then we found that the Nazis were there already. Oh yeah,
2: I know. I remember that. Yeah, I can't remember the name of it though. They, they were there ahead of us. Iron. Therefore. Iron. Iron something. Oh, I think I know what you're talking about. I can't remember the name either. But the first the first Nazi moon landing was in 1942. 1942, according to uh, uh, according to uh, the Bulgarian scientists, and the di- so who calls himself the dissident scientist. Mm-hmm. From nineteen forty-two to nineteen sixty, you could just imagine how far they had gotten already.
1: By the way, it's Iron Sky—that's the name of the movie.
2: Oh, Iron Sky. Yeah, that's yeah. that's. Yeah. Right. I remember that now.
1: Now look, I've been trying to just go in chronological order, and I was fast forwarding to this this part. But let me go back. Way back in time, who are the who are the Atlants? I used to call them the Atlanteans, but you call them the Atlants. Are you referring to the Atlanteans?
2: Yes, I am referring to the Atlanteans. yes, indeed. Who were they? and where were they from? Well, you know you do know about the what happened in the Lyran system when the reptilians destroyed three planets and floated 50 million, 50 million humans. Well, I have
1: heard multiple sources talk about that
2: story, yes. Well, I'm I'm using the information from uh, Sperdlo, Stuart Sperdlo. Yeah, I, I have a. I really respect his research, and uh, I think he's absolutely right that um, that the at, the 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 this this massacre did indeed take place, and this is what this was the beginning of what we call the Federation. It was as a result of that slaughter. And that uh, horrible event, that the humans in the Lyran system decided they had to develop, they had to develop spacefaring technology fast, and they had to start spacefaring trip trips all over the galaxy, and that's what that's what began the space program from Lyra. And uh, as a result of that program, some of those humans came here. And they settled all over the all over this, the galaxy and formed about 110 uh, colonies. That those colonies became what we now call the Federation. And the Federation developed very very uh, sophisticated technology and uh, science. But it, it, that's what stimulated the whole the whole uh, program. The whole but, human program. By the
1: way, I'm not sure if it's your microphone or something, but there's something cracking every so often. Oh, okay. I'm trying boy. So, that. Atlantis, when you call it the Federation, are we talking about what we see in Egypt, what we see in Mesoamerica, what we see per-
2: probably in Angle Watt? That is what you call the Federation? I'm talking about the, the human Federation in the galaxy. Oh, in the galaxy. Okay. The Federation of Human Colonies, Human Planets... Uh, human civilizations all over the galaxy, and basically, it was stimulated by that slaughter in Lyra because that's when they realized the human. The humans realized they had to go elsewhere in the in the galaxy and develop high technology in order to to uh, ward off any future attacks by the reptilians, because they realized that they were ruthless, that they had no concern for human life actually at all, and. Uh, could do it again. Now one of the races that was involved in this was that a race called the Atlans, who really originated from the Pleiades originally. They actually they actually originated in Lyra and they were part of what took place there, but they basically immigrated to the Pleiades and the federation then decided that they were the right ones to send to this solar system. To try and prevent the reptilians from taking it over, because they were ferocious, they were they were um, fierce fighters. They had high technology, they had spacefaring technology, and it was the it was a, it was the uh, Federation that sent them here to uh, c- confront the reptilians, because we did not want this to become a reptilian solar system. They did not want this to become a reptilian solar system. And, uh, are, are the Pleiadians the, the same
1: as what Billy Meyer calls the Pleiarns? Uh, I don't.
2: I don't know that. I don't know the answer to that. Okay. I. You know, the Pleiades is a very large, very large star system, and uh, it, they, there are many human colonies in the Pleiades. That much I know. I wouldn't say it's an essentially essentially a human solar system uh, star system, but. Uh, Let's put it this way, it's a human refuge from Lyra. when it comes to Lemuria
1: and Atlantis, are these two different races that we're talking
2: about? The reptilians were the first ones here. They were here before there were any humans on this planet. But there were humans in the solar system. There were humans on a very large planet called Maldek, which was between Jupiter and Mars. And uh, there were millions of humans on that planet. Is that today's asteroid belt? That's right. That became the asteroid belt because the reptilians, when they arrived, they destroyed it. And it became the asteroid belt. And not only did they destroy Maldek, <clears throat> a lot of the Maldekians had already taken refuge on Mars. But as they went by Mars, they stripped the atmosphere, a lot of the atmosphere off of Mars, and reduced the, that reduced the oxygen content. And so they made this solar system basically unlivable for humans. And then they just, then they took over the planet that we now call Earth. So they were here long before they were on this planet, long before there were any humans here. They had this planet all to themselves. I think, according to to my research, they had it, and according to what was told to me by Stuart Swerdlow and others, they were here for about a hundred thousand years before any humans arrived on this planet. So, if they were here before, they were. They were no. But are they are they. This is
1: one part that I've always confused because I have get sources who say some reptilians are benevolent and some reptilians are malevolent.
2: They have no heart chakra as we know it, and no compassion or any love. They have any. They do not have a love nature at all. So that's that's in their DNA. That's the way they're made. Uh, if they are, but if there are some that are benevolent, uh, it must be accidental, I would say, because they're just not built that way. They only know how to dominate and to uh, and to take over and to and to take take command of a, of a planet or a solar system. So maybe there are some that have compassion, but uh, I've seen no evidence of it at all in any any of my research. And by the way, I've met some people, and I bet you, you have met some people that are
1: just like that. They look like humans, but it's almost like, you know, there's no heart, no compassion. They just, they just want what they want, and they don't care how they get
2: it. Yeah, that's exactly right. And um, it's hard for us to understand how that kind of a creature could exist, but that's just the way they are. And they've, they've dominated, they've, they've taken over star systems all over the galaxy that way. According to Swerdlow, I believe it was Spurdlow that told me this, the reptilians basically took over, have taken over about 21 star systems in this part of the galaxy. And when they take it over, they know how to, they know how to run it. Uh, we can talk about this later, but I think that we have to get into the whole subject of AI eventually. Oh, absolutely. And, uh, they are masters of AI. They are absolute masters of AI. And they are mentally, mentally very, very powerful,
1: not only AI, but biogenetics, genetic manipulation. We'll talk about that later because this could be more this talk. Could be more timely based on what we're seeing right now. You turn on the news. I wonder if there's any relevant. We'll talk about it later. I don't want to open that kind of worms right now. But okay. you say so scientists say dinosaurs became extinct after a comet crashed in the... you don't say that that that's what. The theory, that's what you're taught in school, that a comet crashed in the Yucatan Peninsula and that's how the dinosaurs became extinct. But you say dinosaurs were actually killed off by the Atlanteans. Explain this alternate theory.
2: According, according to Sverdlow and according to Robert Morning Sky, when the, when the uh, reptilians first came here, and he said it was about, uh, about a million years ago, they brought the dinosaurs with them. Because the dinosaurs were their primary food source they actually needed they, they bred them the, the same reason we we breed cows and cattle they needed them for their food and so they when they came here they came inside what, what we might call a death star it was actually a planet it was a spaceship that was that appeared to be a planet so they, they brought all of their uh, flora and fauna with them and uh, when the Atlans arrived, uh, the dinosaurs were trampling over their agricultural areas, and the first thing they did was try to was start to kill the dinosaurs. They had the weaponry to do it, and uh, they were sent here to confront the reptilians in the first place. So the wars the wars between the Atlans and the reptilians broke out almost immediately after the Atlans arrived, and eventually. Apparently, the Atlans had such sophisticated technology that they were able to actually weaken the foundations of the Lemurian continent. And ultimately, they, they, they caused Lemuria to sink beneath the Pacific Ocean. And so at that point, the, um, the reptilians realized that they had better take refuge underground, and that's what they did. But they're very skilled at building underground facilities, so it wasn't a big deal for them to go underground. But that's how the, that's how Lemuria sank. Well, then they turned around and there was a counterattack, and they they succeeded in sinking Atlantis. But the Atlantean humans, they were humans, were given a were given a, a warning about that what was going to happen. And uh, if you've read any of AC, the Edgar Casey material, have you read that? I have. So you know that the uh, Atlanteans began a migration well in advance. Of the destruction of Atlantis, and they scattered all over the globe. Uh, they went to the Middle East. They went to Egypt. They went to uh, Tibet, and and they founded they founded wisdom schools basically wherever they went. They went to Central America, so that by the time Atlantis sank, uh, there were many human colonies all over all over the globe. Well, whether this is true or not, it makes sense to me for the
1: following reason: when you have Tibet persecuted by the Chinese and even I believe it was the Annerba the Germans went to Tibet to, to get some information there from yes, they ancient did. That's right. right I'm glad yes. you're saying that. then we have Mesoamerica look at what happened to the Incas the Mayas the the Aztecs when the conquistadors came along again they buried their their treasures and we built churches on top of them almost to, to erase that chapter of our history and something else. When you look at Egypt and Mexico in Spanish, Egypt three syllables Egipto, Mexico in Spanish Mexico, like the three almost rhyme. Could there be a correlation between the people in Mexico and the people in Egypt?
2: I believe so. I believe the Mayans, the Mayans could be compared to the Egypt, to the early Egyptians. Uh, first of all, you've got the you've got the pyramids, and while they weren't identical, they certainly. It was the same concept, right? And uh, the Mayans were very advanced, uh, and probably, probably, I, I, the conquistadores wanted them wiped out for that reason. I wouldn't doubt it because they were they were really uh, they were really forerunners of the church here, the Catholic Church, and uh, they destroyed all of the Mayan a lot of the Mayan and Aztec religious documents. Deliberately. So why did they do that? And uh, so the, uh, the, the humans in Central America and in Egypt are comparable in a lot of ways. I agree with that. What do you
1: make of this recent finding? Recent as in a couple of years. An archaeologist has discovered liquid merc- mercury at the end of a tunnel beneath a Mexican pyramid. Why do you think—and they say that this could be at the existence of a king's tomb— I don't buy this tomb thing. In the pyramid, we don't find a tomb. What do you make of this liquid mercury? Do you think this might prove one day of the reason for the pyramid's existence?
2: Well, now, in what, how did they actually come across this liquid mercury? In what, in what form was it? Was it, was it enc- enc- encased in something or what?
1: That's a good question. I haven't read the whole article, but I've been reading that after 1800 years, they found this tunnel. And they found liquid mercury. And I I don't know if they used ground penetrating radar or they actually found the mercury there. But if it's indeed true and they found liquid mercury, why would there be liquid mercury under the pyramid? Could this prove the functionality or the the reason for the existence of these pyramids? Well, it
2: wouldn't surprise me at all. I mean, when you you look at the – when you look at the – that facility in Mexico, the – the pyramid complex in Mexico. Yeah, the sun. Uh, they were equal. There was as as advanced as the Egyptians were in terms of building uh, those 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 pyramids. Uh, they had to have some very very good science and and architectural capabilities to have done that, and so it really makes them very much very much comparable to the Egyptians. I think. The question, no question is: about it.
1: How did they get? the mercury, if these were soulless savages. But they say the toxic silvery metal has been found at other archaeological sites in Mesoamerica, and because of its shimmery nature may have been used to represent an underworld river
2: or lake. I just wonder what they would have been doing with that mercury. How they they would have been... What type of technology did they have that would would somehow be helped by uh, development of liquid mercury?
1: So you and I think of mercury perhaps being used... For a an anti-gravitic spaceship and and this is not too far-fetched I've heard people who say that these pyramids were actually flying objects I don't know that seems implausible to me but when you find that under un, underground liquid uh, oh, yeah. that's right then could this be could this be a reason
2: yeah I recall now that uh, that our our people did discover that the Some of the flying saucer technology used liquid mercury. So how would that... There must be a connection there. Exactly. It sounds like it. Yeah, I agree. I Uh, agree. It's very suspicious.
1: You also say the Atlants had powerful electromagnetic technology, which they used to destabilize the foundations of the Lemurian continent, which makes me wonder, perhaps, perhaps you've seen what, you know, seem to be giant tree stumps all over the world. Have you seen these tree stumps all over the place I've seen it on ancient
2: aliens. I think I know what you're talking about. Yeah.
1: So, if these were giant trees that perhaps went all the way to the clouds, and they were trying to destabilize the foundations of this continent, could they have used this technology, I don't know, lasers, masers, to cut these trees, reduce the oxygen levels and the the way the Earth was at that point?
2: Well, it's certainly possible. Uh I don't know. I don't. I do know a lot about what happened on Atlantis, but I don't know enough about their technology. And uh, I know that they had to be very advanced. Their technology had to be very advanced, because uh, of, of just looking at the architecture in Egypt. And we know that Egypt was their first was their first colony uh, when when Atlantis went down. And they also had the ability to to uh, in bio, biotechnology. They were creating. Uh, uh, combining the DNA of animals and humans they they had that capability the the atlanteans were very very advanced and uh anything you can anything you can tell me about them I would believe well, when you see
1: remember closing counters the movie yes huh. you have you researched Devil's Tower?
2: yeah, I just wonder how it got there It's a strange kind of strange kind of promen promontory there in the middle of nowhere. What do you know about it?
1: Not only how it got there, but I saw a video a couple of years ago of this gentleman who, you know, flew a drone on top of it. And the way if you look at it as a close up and you go all the way to the top, you see it's silicate. I believe silicate quartz and it was almost alive and it was just cut perfectly on top of it. So oh. what I'm what I'm suggesting is perhaps we had a different type of trees in the past. These trees were just gargantuan, almost like um, if you saw the movie Avatar, but made, yeah. made of not the wood that we're used to, but a different material. And they were just caught from all over the place. When I traveled to Utah from, and you probably have too, since we live close to each other. to you travel to Utah, to Colorado, New Mexico, and you see these plains, and then you see these, you have to have eyes to look If you've been following what I'm saying, next time you travel that way in your car, look in the distance and you'll see all these trees and a lot of the roots are connected for miles. If you hike them, you see them connected for miles. What could this have been in the past?
2: This was in Utah, you say?
1: Utah, Arizona, Colorado, New Mexico. You just drive and look in the distance. You you, You can't miss them. They're everywhere.
2: So how does that, so what are, you spe, what are you speculating then about the Devil's Tower? What are you saying about the it? The
1: same thing, that something happened in the past and it was just caught. Caught just like all these trees that had, that were just gigantic trees. And these roots went for miles. And you can still see the trees, right the, the uh, roots right now. Something happened in the past and they
2: were just cut. That's really very interesting, but the only the only thing I can tell you about uh, Spielberg's choice of the Devil's Tower was that it had no connection with anything else. Uh, he just decided to use that because it was uh, it was dramatic. Oh, you no, know, of course, what a great dramatic. poster. Yeah, whereas the real landing, I think he knew that from the from his connection with the DIA, that the real landing was on was in the uh, the uh, atomic test on the atomic test ground. In New Mexico? No, no, in, in um, Nevada. Uh, in Nevada, yeah. Right. And by the
1: way, since I have you here, the one book that I never discussed with you, and now that you mentioned Close Encounters, because your book begins, in my opinion, at the, in the end, or at the end of the movie Close Encounters. When the right. Greys come to us, they don't tell us, but we sent a number of hours to their planet, Serpo. Have you seen that connection?
2: Well, I wrote the, I wrote the book, the, Serp, uh, the Secret Journey of Serpo. You right. know
1: that. Yes, of course. And that's what I'm saying, because at oh. the end of the movie, they come to us. But the story of Serpo is that they came to us, I believe there were how many? 12, 13, something like that. And then we sent the same amount of people to their planet. Some died, some stayed, and some returned.
2: Right. Yeah. Well, I don't know how many they sent here. I mean, I know that the, the, two, the two spacecraft collided in Roswell. <clears throat> two of their spacecraft collided in, in Roswell. Oh, you mean and, the, the Roswell incident was a
1: collision not brought down by radar? Exactly.
2: <laughs> it was a collision, but the, the, the root cause could have been the radar. And in fact, it probably was the radar to confuse their, their navigational systems because they collided. And one of them, one of them ended up uh, near Corona, and the other one ended up about a hundred miles away to the to the west. <coughs> and that one wasn't discovered for an entire year. We discovered that a year later, the second one. The, the second one. And uh, so, uh, it it could have been. It, there was a there was a lightning storm that night. True, but uh, their particular navigational system was built into their into their suits and into their helmets. And uh, th- that probably would cause the confusion and cause them to collide. I don't know. I always it say... It was a collision. It I always say,
1: wasn't. Len, that for a civilization as advanced as they were, they made it all the way here to crash on arrival.
2: Exactly. But they had been here before. It was nothing new. They had been here before many times. And uh, what I think brought them to that particular location was the atomic – they knew it was, the, it was the center of our atomic development, atomic bomb development. And uh, they wanted to keep tabs on that.
1: Somebody told uh, me the other day, Len, and I don't know if this is true or not, but it sounded plausible to me, that you know the name Forrestal, Secretary Forrestal, our first Secretary of Defense, right? Yeah. And the, the way that he supposedly died. Many people say that he he was killed. And he was, you know, what is it? uh, The one who came after uh, Roosevelt. No, that the president... uh, Oh, Truman. Truman, Truman. Truman actually asked him to to resign, asked for his resignation. Because, you know, supposedly he was crazy and he was sent to a mental institution and that's what happened. But before that, apparently, there was a persecution, like a... A persecution where some people died, and I'm talking in addition to what happened to Admiral Byrd, and Forstall was so incensed by it that he wanted to find a way to just make one of those ships crash, and he was supposedly the one who gave the order to use radar technology in order to do that. Do you
2: buy that? Well, I know Forstall was very, as secretary. he was Secretary of the Navy, wasn't he?
1: Well, he became the first Secretary of Defense after he was the Secretary of the Navy.
2: Right, and it was the Navy. It was our people who were infiltrating Germany, Germany as spies, uh, that were an asset, were, were a naval a naval asset. I, are you familiar with the William Tompkins story? I am. Uh, you know know that the Navy was responsible for sending over those spies to Germany when. And to get that technology,
1: yes, yes, and not only that, but even after now we have a space force, but it's not the air force that really was into UFOs. I mean, look at the testimonial for William Cooper.
2: That's right. It was the Navy. It was the Naval Intelligence was correct. Was responsible for it, but but the whole point was that Farstall uh, uh, must have been at the, must have been involved in that as Secretary of the Navy. He had to be. And so uh and and at that point, what what year did he actually die, Barstow? I can't recall. do you remember that?
1: I'll find it in the forties. let's see Keep talking i'll I'll find was
2: it. it. was it in the fifties i don't, I don't remember if it was in the fifties or not. in any case, at that point already the German influence was starting to manifest in this country
1: nineteen forty nine by the way may twenty second nineteen forty nine is when he died.
2: Okay. okay, all right, so there it is. You know that that was uh, seven years after Roswell. Actually, two years uh, sorry, no, after Roswell. No, sorry, two years two years after yeah. Roswell. Uh, but in any case, the Germans were already infiltrating our aerospace companies and our our, our government. And it may have been that he they wanted him dead. And uh, we do know that the head of the CIA, Alan Dulles, well, Dulles didn't become the head of the CIA until 1953. But he was active, and so was uh, Alan Foster uh, Forster Dulles. They may have just wanted him out of the way because they knew that the Navy was was developing this technology and had spied on on the Ger- on the German scientists. I don't know.
1: Yeah, look so, at the connections. Like, yes, absolutely. I'm agreeing with you exactly what you're saying. And who was Forrestal's protege, John F. Kennedy? In fact, exactly. he took Kennedy exactly. to. Exactly. I don't know if it was Pinamunda or he took him to Germany to see what happened after the war. And when they returned, they were both Catholics, you know, they were both in sync with one another. And the common denominator, they were hated by the Dulles brothers. I mean, look what happened at Kennedy when he died. Who was one in the Warren Commission? Alan Dulles.
2: Alan Dulles. Who was fired shortly before his death. Yes, exactly. Yeah, and... and, uh, Kennedy had already told them he was going to break the CIA up into a thousand pieces.
1: Into the wind.
2: Yes. No, no there's no question that Dulles was a Nazi sympathizer. I've made that point several times in my book. Uh, he definitely was a Nazi sympathizer. Now, whether his brother was also, I don't know, but they, I, both, I think they both were. And I pointed out that both of them went to Germany in 1933 to help Hitler get financing for his campaign to become a, the chancellor. Uh, they were representing Kuhn-Lieb uh, Company as lawyers, and they they helped get Hitler get financing to for his campaign to become the Chancellor of Germany. So right there, we have a, a major connection. Who was the director but, uh, of the
1: CIA when Kennedy died? Do you know?
2: When Kennedy died? Yeah. Well, Dulles.
1: Oh, it was Dulles. Okay, okay.
2: Yeah, Dulles. Dulles. He, he he became the director in '53.
1: That's right, and who came after him? Well, in the seventies, probably it was George H. W. Bush, who is isn't the same cabal.
2: Exactly. That's right. That's right. But so, um, so, so, it, it may very well have been that they considered Forrestal uh, in the way of what they wanted to do, what they wanted to accomplish, and they had to get him out of the way. You know, it's a very unlikely that he jumped from a sixteen. 16-story sure. window. It just, it just it just, doesn't make sense. He had no motivation to do it. I talked to
1: another researcher years ago who told me that they found, what is it, his brother, Forrestville's brother, he actually came to recognize, to identify the body. And one of the orderlies at the hospital, when he saw him there, the first thing he said was, your brother did not commit suicide.
2: Oh, is that right? I did you hear that? that? Yeah, that's, no, I never have heard that before.
1: Your brother did not commit suicide. They knew something was going on and they wanted to get rid of I mean, this is the way they do it. I mean, look how many people are suicided all the time with two gunshots to their to their brains. And they still put that in the forensics analysis.
2: <laughs> two I, shots I to the brain. I know. Well, let's see. Let's let's go back now. If that was 1949, that's what you said, right?
1: Yes, that when he, he died. He
2: died. Yeah. Don't forget that uh, Operation High Jump... Had just been two years before that. Correct. Okay, and he was behind Operation High Jump. Correct,
1: and this is why I told you that he was mad about what happened to Admiral Byrd, and he wanted to just crash one of those UFOs that killed some of the Americans during High Jump.
2: Exactly, and, and since and the Nazis were able to somehow arrange for for his death. Right? How I don't know. They must have had. They must have had. The connections to to send somebody up to his room and push him out the window. Who knows, you know? It would have been an easy thing to do, really.
1: Now, let me ask you this, Len. You probably have heard of the work of Dr. Richard Sauter and some other people who talk about underground bases in the United States, that trillions of dollars spent the highway network of magnetic levitation technology, I mean, this is this is like a, on a vacuum at seven hundred miles per hour, Mach one and a half or Mach two.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: My question about this is: the reptilians who have been underground, do you think the reptilians
2: inhabit some of, and perhaps control some of these underground bases? Absolutely, absolutely. The reptilian colonies; some of them go down two hundred miles, and when when Lemuria sank and they went underground, they had no problem building a high speed high speed railroad systems. And space space portals allow them to get out of get out into the into the uh, into the galaxy. Their technology, the technology of the reptilians, is beyond belief. You have to understand; it goes back thousands of years. They they were cruising around the galaxy in their spaceships thousands of years ago, according to Robert Morningsky. Sky. So, uh, can you imagine what they had going on under underground? And we and we know they built a capital city under Tibet. Called Bogavita, that was seven stories high. So uh, they were completely at home under, underground, and uh, they've had these high-speed railroad systems for a very, very long time. So possibly uh, uh, they are still there. Uh, well, we what well, we do know of what happened with uh, with the death of uh, who was the one that died in in the uh, in northern, northern, uh, northern New Mexico. What was his name? I can't think of his name right now.
1: Died how? Or, or what under what Chet, circumstances?
2: Chet, Chet, Chester, Chet, um, he, was, he was one of the engineers involved in creating the underground. Uh, oh, you're talking about Phil. Phil, yes.
1: Oh, I, I kind of uh, believe that I'm forgetting his name. Phil Schneider. I, Phil I, Schneider.
2: I Phil Schneider, yeah. Phil Schneider. Um, didn't he talk about these things? I, As I recall, he did mention some of this stuff, didn't Not he? Not only did he talk about it, but uh, he, I'm told that the reason why he was killed,
1: and if anybody doubts that he was killed, because people say, Mel, you're a conspiracy theorist. Yes, I am, because I'm looking for the truth. But if you look at the photographs, which I have in my possession, of his dead body, you tell me, if you would commit suicide that way, it would be... Oh, yeah, I heard about that. And uh, I'm told the reason why he was murdered was because he was showing material, metals that he was not supposed to be showing that were not made on this plane cool
2: Earth. Right, and so that that tells us right there that uh, he was interfering in the underground uh, facilities of the reptilians at that point. So they may have been the greys. The the reptilians control the greys, we know that. The greys are—they're really a, uh, a, a semi-automated a semi, uh, version. They're not really biological, completely biological. The reptilians were upset with perhaps what Schneider was doing, and uh, decided they wanted him out of the way. You think the greys are bio robots? We're talking bio- about
1: AI later, right. but these are biological entities, yes, but they're perhaps cloned. And they don't, what I'm told, have you met Derek Tyler, by the way? No, I have not. Great guy. had him on the show a few weeks ago. And he told me that the reason why a lot of abductees report going into the ships and the smell is putrid, and I'm told that the reason why is because they use our blood or the blood of animals, just like the cattle mutilations that we see, they extract the blood and that, they basically bathe in that blood on the absorb it from their
2: pores and that's what keeps them alive. Have you heard that? The Grays the, the, the Grays or the Reptilians? The Grays. Well we do know that the reptilians drink human blood and we know that they eat human flesh. We know that. We learned that from a number of different people. David Icke is one of them, but many others. So you know I think I think it was Phil Schneider that said the the smell as he descended down yes, the elevator. Right. He said the smell was horrible. Yep. Uh, so, uh, what you're saying makes sense, and uh, and they, if, if the reptilians drink, drink human blood, which several people have testified to, then it's likely that their creation, the the greys, probably do the same.
1: By the way, I don't mean to bring this up right now, but because a lot of the stuff that we're discussing, maybe years ago, to many people would have sounded like science fiction. I know. You, you've heard the term adrenochrome, which I basically use that term almost in every interview just because I want people to wake up to that term, adrenochrome. And if you told me before, oh, the reptilians eat people or drink blood, I would think, oh, come on, you're, you're reading too much science fiction. But what I know now is that it's not only the reptilians, it's those people who are behind the scenes controlling. Take in Hollywood, a restaurant, a restaurant that serves human meat. And how do they get the human meat? Volunteers in their 20s and 30s. Sporty people who go there almost like gladiators. And they know. If they lose, that's what the chef is going to be served on the platter that night. And this is the kind of stuff that's happening. And with this coronavirus thing, I'm told that a shipment, a multi-trillion dollar shipment of powdered adrenochrome came from China and was confiscated. And if you don't know what adrenochrome is... Chrome is Lynn, and find out how it's extracted and obtained. Get ready for a new awakening.
2: Well, tell me, I want to know. I don't. I really don't know what it. I've heard the term before, but I can't remember what it is. See, it, it, our
1: conversation is kind of a PG, but now we're taking to the restricted area. And this <laughs> okay. is what's going to. You know, we're we're coming to a few minutes before we close <laughs> the show. Let me not say any more about this because this is what always gets me shut down on YouTube when I. Talk about this. <laughs> so I'll talk about it in part two. But okay. um, let me ask you this. Where do you think the Space Force is taking us?
2: You know, I don't, I don't know what you think about Donald Trump, but uh, when he announced the Space Force thing, you know you know, he gets he gets very top secret briefings still from the CIA. You know that, right? Yep. No, I, I so think. he knows a lot of he knows a lot of what's going on. How much he knows, I don't know. But uh, this space force is a t- is a total totally unnecessary uh, concept because we already have we already have a uh, solar warden. You know about solar warden, I think, probably, and uh, we have a training yeah. academy for the solar warden pilots in Medford, Oregon.
1: Yeah, uh, but, but but solar warden was not a, it was not publicly known when he announced that and Pence announced that. The first thought that came to mind was, oh. They finally are going to admit we need more funding, the trillions of dollars lost. Remember yeah. September 10th, 2001, when Rumsfeld went before Congress and said, we misplaced or we can't find $2.3 trillion. I know. I know well, yeah. well, now they're basically saying, well, not with the name, Breakaway Civilization or Secret Space Program. Might as well just come out and say it. I mean, why do we have an Air Force for? And what do we need a space for? For, I mean, our, if you put... Uh, Satellite platforms with, I mean, you know, the work of uh, uh, Carol Ross, Dr. Carol Ross, and she talks about weapons in space. Usually those weapons are pointing down at us and not out.
2: Right, exactly. Wasn't she Von Braun's secretary? Correct. Yeah, that's right. She was Von Braun's. You know, uh, we, we know that the Air Force is not, is not behind the real Space Force. It's the Navy. And they don't really talk to each other that much. So, if this Space Force is supposedly something, an outgrowth of the Air Force, did he, is that what he said? He I say think that? somebody from the Air
1: Force, a you know, deputy secretary, uh, was the one who who's now commanding the Space Force. So it came from this the Air Force. That people are being
2: transferred from the Air Force. We're not being told that they're coming from the Navy. Exactly, and we know from the writings of William Tompkins that the whole thing is naval. And uh, that, that's why Star Trek was based on a naval on naval
1: uh, right the S, the USS US Enterprise spaceship.
2: yeah yeah and uh, Roddenberry made a point of that uh, so so I don't know what the space force is I don't really understand what it's all about I mean we're way beyond that whole thing now way beyond we have a colony on Mars we have a colony on the moon uh, we can land on on Mars we we get. If we get permission from the from the Nazi uh, people who run the show there, we can land there, and we can, can we can still use that colony. It's a joint U.S. Russian colony to begin with. Um, so, so what do what do we need? What do we need uh, the space force for? I mean, Ben Rich said we've we already can, are 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 patrolling the whole galaxy, and we can take E.T. home. We can take ET home. I mean, so what is it all about? What what is that all about? What do you think it's all about? Well, Gary Ford?
1: McKinnon. Remember Gary McKinnon? Yeah, I. Do. Alleged, I wrote about it. the I alleged hacker. It. I don't think he was a hacker. He was just somebody with Asperger's. And honestly, I think I have a little bit of Asperger's. And this is why I do what I do because I want to get to the bottom of things. <laughs> so he got into a computer and just dialed in, dialed in, and was able to get in. He didn't have, he didn't use any hacking. Technology, He basically, it's like if you're walking by the Pentagon and the door is open, well, you peek, all of a sudden you committed a crime <laughs> yeah. because the door was open and you saw a spaceship there in a, in a hangar 18 somewhere. But I That's think... That's what I said. Yeah, go ahead. I'm sorry. Uh, what he said, the two USS USS Roscoe Hillencotter and USS Curtis LeMay almost yeah. said that we have a fleet of these spaceships going yeah. around. And this is when... The
2: early 2000s yes exactly yeah he, he stumbled into he stumbled into the um, into the solar warden files and I say stumbled because that's probably exactly what happened he wouldn't have he wouldn't have known where to look right so uh, somehow he stumbled into the into the files, and he, and he uh, that was basically solar warden that's what solar warden is so you think what he was saying
1: about Roscoe Hill, and cutter and the rest of them this is when that it's now becoming the US Space Force.
2: Now, when you what is becoming the US Space
1: Force? What we have before. We've already had in my opinion, we've already had this branch of the military, but we were not publicly letting people know that we had it. When Trump came along, he probably said, "Hey, we're just sending this billions and billions of dollars somewhere to this black hole. Let's just be, let it be known that we have this Space Force."
2: But my understanding is that it it did not evolve out of the Air Force. It evolved out of the Navy. Navy, okay. Yeah, it could because, be. Because because William Tompkins was working with naval assets and designing huge spacecraft, uh, in some cases, miles long. That he, it, he helped design. You know that, right? I'm yes, kind of absolutely. So, so uh, I think that perhaps the Air Force version does not have the whole story. I don't think they have the whole story that the Navy has. I think I heard, you know,
1: Bill Cooper, when he used to sell his shows on tape in the 90s. I believe I heard one many, many years ago where somebody, a caller, called and said, why is it that the UFO topic is mostly under the control of the Navy? And Cooper was, you know, in former Navy intelligence. And I believe his answer was something along the lines like, because we have submarines and a you know, sheep of, 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 of vessels all over the world in the ocean. And they are the ones who see UFOs more than even the air force. And this is why that's, I believe what he said.
2: Yeah. And that makes a lot of sense to me. And I, I think Al Bielek, didn't Al Bielek have something to say about that? I yeah, exactly.
1: Al B- oh, poor I mean, we spoke probably about three months before he died. I wanted to interview him, but he had, was very, very hard of hearing. And I couldn't, but I believe me, that was an incredible story, Al Belix, like, huh?
2: Oh yeah, that really was because he worked. He worked with them. He worked directly with the aliens. Um, and I quoted from him in in the book. I th- you may have read that uh, what he said. Uh, but, uh, but 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 that that would but that would explain why they would want to assassinate the secretary of the navy. It makes sense that uh, he knew too much, and they wanted him out of the way.
1: What was the name of the other individual? You probably have heard his name too. I forgot. Um, stranger at the Pentagon. Oh yeah, yeah. Valiant Thor. What was the name of this individual who also just happened to have died immediately after I started this program? His wife told me, you know, if you had contacted him two weeks ago, he would have loved to be on your show, but he just passed away two days ago when I talked to her.
2: Yeah, I know who you're talking about Stranger at the Pentagon. By uh, he he was a he was a he was a minister, wasn't he?
1: I'm uh, not sure if he
2: was a minister. Yeah, he was, uh, and he was supposedly met met the the visitor from from uh, Venus. Did he actually meet him? I think he did. Yeah, uh, yeah. I know who you talk. I know you Valiant Thor. Valiant Thor was the name of the visitor. Uh, yes. The visitor, right? But the guy that wrote the book was um, can't think of his name right now. He wrote Stranger at the Pentagon. Correct. So, yeah.
1: At anywhere we have to take a one and only intermission. How can people buy Dark Fleet, the secret Nazi program, and the battle for the solar system?
2: Okay, the book actually officially goes on sale on the tenth, which is next week, but uh, review copies are available. But and they're taking they're taking uh, pre orders on it, so you, they can order it right right now, and it'll be sent to them immediately when it gets published on the tenth.
1: And no worries, because I on purpose will be airing this after the book is out so oh, no okay. worries it right. will so be, that's great it will that's be great. readily available when you listen to this program folks don't great. go anywhere i have a lot of stuff a lot more a lot of doors that you're opening with this new book Len caston is my special guest today on veritas this is mal fabregas and i'll see you in the member section
3: don't go anywhere thank you for listening to the first part of this important veritas interview to listen to the rest and all of our material proceed to the member section, or join the Veritas family by subscribing. Click on the subscribe button at veritasradio.com. You can make your purchase with a credit card, PayPal, cash, check, money order, and even cryptocurrency. We are now accepting, Bitcoin, Litecoin, and Ethereum. Don't forget to visit the Veritas store, for Focus Life Force Energy, MMS, CBD Pure Hemp Oil, Divina Water, Pure organic sulfur, flash drives with all our Sanitas and Veritas seasons, and other great products. And if you're listening on YouTube, like, subscribe, and share it. And click the bell to be notified when new interviews are available. Now, proceed to the members section or subscribe, to listen to the rest of the interview. You don't want to miss it. Thank you for listening to Veritas. Because you don't want to believe. You want to know.